Our Father, we ask you please to help us now to focus on the word which you have spoken to us and we ask that what I have to say will will help us to understand it and take it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here is one of my favourite stories about how we humans are not as fair and reasonable as we think. It's about prisoners in jail coming up for parole. The decision about whether a prisoner should go on parole is obviously a very important one. The public needs to be protected from prisoners who don't deserve to be out in public yet. But by the same token, if a prisoner has behaved well and shown that they're worthy of release, then they should have that opportunity. Well, some researchers did an analysis of parole board decisions. Now, this research happens to have taken place in Israel. That's not important to my point. But they found that of the prisoners who came up for parole in front of the board at 9 o'clock in the morning, about half of them got parole. If, however, you were coming up for parole five minutes before lunch, the answer was pretty much always no. Now, isn't it interesting that a decision that is so important for the person before the board and also for the wider society got decided on something which, well, the parole board was hungry. It's remarkable, isn't it, that it doesn't get decided on the facts but on the pure chance as to when the application come up during the session. Well, I think it can be the same with people's responses to Jesus. If we think about uh, our response and perhaps the response of many people who've not turned to Christ, uh, perhaps people think that they're behaving rationally, but really there's so much accident involved. Was I... Was I hungry and and annoyed the day that the the leafletter came to me? Did I grow up in a Christian family? Well, that's a big factor too, isn't it? In this passage, we see Jesus speaking with a crowd that's wanting food, a bit like the parole board. And they allowed that to blind them so that they missed the simple good news that Jesus had to share. You will remember that Jesus has crossed over the lake and returned to Capernaum after the feeding of the 5,000. We we read last week of how the crowds, when they realised that Jesus uh, was not beside the lake anymore, they got into boats and they went looking for him. And today's passage begins with them finding Jesus. It's verse 25, John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, how did you get here? Seems such an innocent question, doesn't it? But Jesus, as we've seen right throughout this gospel, he knows what we humans are like. He can see the hungry twinkle in their eyes. He can see that saliva sort of glistening on their lips as they hope that they might receive some more of that tasty bread that they got got from him on the other side of the lake. And it's interesting to read Jesus' response to them because he doesn't just say to them, sorry, no more bread today, he in fact makes one of his solemn pronouncements and he offers them wisdom that he wants them to take deeply on board. Verse 26 begins with Jesus' solemn announcement formula. Very truly, I tell you. 
You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Well, it's very simple advice and obviously true, isn't it? But it's very, very important. Don't work for what you can't keep, for what you can't take with you out of this world. Don't work for what is temporary. Work for what lasts, for what you're still going to be enjoying in 10,000 years' time. If you believe in eternal life, then it's obvious that that is where your effort should be going. And that advice is just as applicable to us, isn't it? It's very sensible to put your effort into eternal life rather than what only lasts for this world. Don't work for the food that spoils, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Well, the crowd's first question in verse 28 seems to be a sensible follow-up. What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus' answer is a simple and beautiful mission statement for every human being. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. It's not an accident that the people's, if you're a real geek here, you'll focus in on the words. The people's question in verse 28 has the plural. What are the works of God? But Jesus' answer is in the singular. The work of God. There's only one. There is just one thing that God wants us to do. To believe in the one he has sent his beloved son. Now, of course, it's a life-transforming belief. When you believe in Jesus, that's going to seep into every area of your life. So I'm not saying it's a small thing, but it is simple. The one thing that we need to do in this life in order to secure the next life is to believe in Jesus, the one whom God has sent. And that, too, is precisely applicable to us today, isn't it? Now, this is where the conversation started to go a little bit off the rails with the crowd that day. Because they are still thinking about those tasty loaves. And they try to bend the conversation back around to to, to the food. They, They say to Jesus, all right, well, what sign will you do so that we may believe in you? I mean, in the past... Uh, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they they quote that passage from Nehemiah that we read as our Old Testament reading. And and it's as though they're saying, well, look, there's a suggestion. You know, you could, for example, there's a sign you could do. Some bread from heaven would be nice. And then we'll believe in you. And, And Jesus' response is to try to bring them back to the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 32. Very truly, I tell you, said Jesus, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. It's a typically strong way that Jesus speaks, isn't it? Everybody knew that Moses had given them the bread from heaven. They just quoted the scripture to prove it. But to make Jesus' point really clear, what Jesus says is, no, that manna was not the bread from heaven. Because the true bread from heaven is now here. 
this true bread from heaven is so nourishing and so life-giving that the manna in the wilderness has become just a pale shadow. The manna was not the true bread from heaven, but rather, Jesus says, my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. And there's a specific way in which Jesus is the bread of life. As he explains later in verse 51, not printed for us, but in the printed Bibles, Jesus gave his flesh for the life of the world. Now, Jesus says this right here, this is maybe two years before his death. I want us to notice, as we often do, Jesus knew very well that he would die and he knew he understood that his death would be on behalf of the world. He taught this. So the analogy that he's drawing is this. Physical bread, uh, which we eat, well, we need physical bread to stave off death, don't we? If, if we don't eat for long enough, we will die. But physical bread only staves off death for a time and, until you need to eat more. When Jesus gave his flesh for the life of the world, he didn't just stave off death, he cut off death at its source because he took the wrath of God against human sin and he completely exhausted it, completely removing the sting of death, which is sin and the wrath that it brings. Jesus cut off death at the source And that is why Jesus' flesh is the bread of life, the bread from heaven. Whoever eats this bread, Jesus says, will live forever. Now, a critical question is to ask this, well, how do I eat the bread? In this metaphor, the the bread of life stands for Jesus' flesh, which he gave when he died on the cross. So in the metaphor, what does eating the bread stand for? It's another way of asking the question, what must I do to make sure that Jesus' death on the cross is effective for me? Now, we mustn't think that Jesus is speaking here of eating the bread of the Lord's Supper. The bread and the wine do not of themselves convey eternal life. It wouldn't make sense, would it? I I mean, for example, would you have to understand what was going on Or could they convey eternal life to you even though you didn't understand? Uh, Would you have to keep receiving the Lord's Supper time after time? Or would once be enough? I mean, there are so many of such questions that if you push the metaphor, it's, it's obvious that when Jesus speaks here about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's not referring directly to the Lord's Supper. What does the metaphor of eating his flesh stand for? Well, isn't it obvious that it stands for what Jesus referred to earlier as the work of God? To believe in the one he has sent. That's the one thing that God requires. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. And that is how we spiritually receive the bread of Jesus' flesh. That is when we are united to Christ 
and his death becomes effective for us. So a great question for us always to ask ourselves is, is that the case for me? Do I have my faith in Christ so that his flesh, his uh, death is effective for me? Well, would you believe that the crowd is still fixed on the physical bread? For the third time, they try to get physical bread. They said to him in verse 34, Sir, always give us this bread. Now, I feel sure that they're still asking for physical bread because they haven't understood Jesus' words. And so Jesus gets more explicit with them in verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, he says it here again, doesn't he? Just such clear and such resounding good news. Come to me for life, Jesus says. It it is easy. It's simple. Come to me for life, says Jesus. It's a gift. The Father has given me to the world. I am giving my flesh for the life of the world. This is our creator showing his open-handed, giving love. But as he says to them in verse 36, you don't believe. You don't believe is what he said to the crowd there that day. They were in a standoff. The crowd wants bread, literal bread. And Jesus wants faith. And neither of them is giving an inch. Now here is where Jesus chooses to say something which explains and which interprets this situation, which I think we all find surprising. And how do we get into this standoff? To explain it, Jesus chooses to let us and them into a secret, which I guess he could have kept to himself. It's verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Who are the people that come to Jesus? They are the ones the Father gives to him. The ones who come to Jesus are the ones the Father chooses to give to Jesus. And if you don't believe me, it's said again even more clearly in verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. You cannot come and I will not come to Jesus unless the Father draws us or has drawn us. See, the supposed debate about predestination, about whether God chooses who will be saved or whether he leaves it up to us, well, it's not a debate at all, at least not in the Bible. The Bible teaches on every page that God is sovereign in all things. Of course we can't decide to follow Jesus unless the Father draws us. It's a sobering and a challenging fact, isn't it? But don't you think it's good that Jesus didn't keep this a secret? He has respected us enough to explain to us that this is how the way the world works. And because we know this, it means that that every, every Christian can say, thank you God for drawing me to Jesus because I know that I would not have come on my own. 
And I think as we go on in the Christian life, we, we know, we, we feel more and more in our bones that, oh, well, I would have never come to Jesus if he hadn't drawn me. It also means that we can pray for people to turn to Christ and know that God has the power to answer us. Now, if anyone here is not a Christian, and if you're thinking, oh, it doesn't feel like God's drawn me to Jesus, well, you can pray too. You can say to God, listen, God, it, it doesn't feel like you've drawn me to Jesus and I'm not, I may not even be sure that you're there. But Jesus did say that he'd never drive anyone away. I admit, I don't have faith in you. So if you're there, would you please draw me and give me the faith that I need? I believe that if you pray that prayer sincerely, God will draw you. Well, let me finish up. First of all, don't miss the simple good news. Jesus is the bread of life which God has given for the life of the world. The simple response God requires is to believe in the one he has sent. That is the work of God. So, work for what lasts. It's simple good sense, isn't it? To gear your life towards making sure you attain to eternal life, which will last much longer than the present life. I mean, how stupid would you feel if you got to the judgment seat of God with all of your impressive credentials, you'd had a great career, you were a nice person to boot, you were a devoted parent, you even attended church, you did stuff for the community. But when it came to the work of God to believe in the one he has sent, ah, I didn't do that. That was all you had to do. Our only job as a human is to believe that Jesus is the one whom God has sent to be the bread of life. That's the only job. Have you ever given someone a job to do? You you say, look, just do this, okay? This is all, I just need you to do this for me. And then you, you, you go away and you come back after a few hours and you found that they've done a whole lot of useful stuff which was worth doing, but it wasn't what you asked them to do. What God has asked us to do is believe in the one he has sent. Work for what lasts. Do the work of God and believe in the one he has sent. And as I said, if you still feel that the Father hasn't drawn you, well, should I first say, well done for being here today. But ask him. I mean, what else can we do? He is all powerful after all. It's his decision. There is nothing else we can do but ask him to draw us. Now, if you are trusting in Christ right now, then I want you to go away with this reassurance God is at work in you. He has drawn you. So take confidence from that and draw nearer. Double down on your prayers and and in your fight against sin because God is working in you. That's an encouragement, isn't it? There is nothing better than to be 
than to be caught up in this amazing loving work of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. All those the Father gives me, Jesus says in verse 37, all those that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never, ever drive away. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this amazing experience of being caught up in your sovereign, loving plan uh, that we've been drawn to Jesus by the Father and then that that Jesus will never, ever drive us away. Uh, Father, we, we praise you for giving Jesus to the world as the bread of life. And we ask, please, for every one of us here that we might accomplish that one simple work that you require of every human being to believe in the one that you have sent. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.